Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for a radio audience tuning in at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all could join us here in Mississippi, but also since tuning in through online affiliates around the world, we're glad you all could be with us as well. I was just saying to my next guest, is glad to have her back on with us. Best-selling author MJ Rose is back this year with a brand-new book called The Jeweler of Stolen Dreams. We'll talk to her not only about her amazing literary success, but also what it's been like for her to weave together another great book full of intrigue, mystery, and I think um, some great layers when it comes to family as well. We'll talk to MJ not only about the early response of the book, but also remind you guys so you can get your own copy of it. MJ, always a pleasure to have you back. Thank you again for the time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, MJ, you know, one thing I know about you from interviewing you over now several years <laughs> is that you don't like to talk a lot about yourself, but I do want to ask you about yourself here as we're beginning a new year. I mean, you have had such a, an amazing career when it comes to not only writing books, but also amassing fans literally around the world. What has that been like for you to kind of see how from year to year, from book to book, your audience continues to look forward to the next book? Oh, you're right. I don't like to talk about myself, and that caught me completely off guard. Um, I'm honored that I have readers. Um, you know, I, I, of course, every writer like delights in having readers. That's it's one thing we write in a vacuum, but it's our readers' responses that keep us going. So it's very gratifying. MJ, do you find it's your own curiosity, though, that really makes your books what they are? And, and I'll explain what I mean by that, because when I was reading The Jeweler of Stolen Dreams, I, I've come to not go into a book of yours thinking I know what it's going to be about, and I'm glad yeah. I didn't <laughs> see. I, I thought this book was going to be what I thought. But I, I'm, it seems like the amount of detail, the, the way you really get into the characters, and not only the characters but the places, it's very obvious that you're writing something that you have found interesting. So do you think that is part of the key for you, that you have that interest first and then it kind of shows itself on the page? No, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, as much as I love my readers, the reason I write is for me. And it's mm -hmm. because I'm interested in something and I want to delve deeper into it. And you can't, I didn't, couldn't figure out how to make a living just doing research. I guess I could have found <laughs> a writer who needed a researcher but I just became my own researcher. So very, very, very much so, especially in this book, something interests me. Actually, I could take you, I'm not going to, I could take you through every book, and something will interest me. I, I've read a lot of things about other authors, and characters will speak to them, or they just like telling stories. I don't mean to put that down, but they'll say, oh, I just love telling stories, that it's just coming up with a new story is what interests them. But for me... It's seeing something, and it's usually a thing. It's it's not usually a person. And um, for a long time, it's been an object or a building, um, and or or a theory. I mean, I've written a lot about reincarnation because I yeah. was fascinated with reincarnation. I wrote a whole series about a perfumer because I became fascinated with the art of making perfume. And I've been doing a lot of jewelry-related books for the last couple of years because. 
I keep, I kind of got to this point, which actually the character in this book uh, talks about, uh, Violine talks about this, that I believe that objects have stories. And I think I'm one of the people put on this earth to see those objects and tell their stories as opposed to, um, you know, inventing characters who are just utterly fascinating. It really starts with me with a with an object. And this book started with uh, two objects that were uh, two bracelets that I saw in a jewelry store window in 2009 in Paris that were unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And I went into the store and found out that they'd been created in the 1930s by a woman who I'd never heard of named Suzanne Belperon, who was a jeweler um, who had died in 1970, uh, 1983, and had, there was at that point very little known about her, although she'd been very famous during her lifetime. And I became obsessed with these bracelets. They were big diamond cuffs, diamond and gold cuffs in an Art Deco design, and cuffs are very empowering to women. It's like think of think of um, Wonder Woman with her two cuffs on and how she touches them and and has her power. And um, it was the study of those cuffs and then the learning about the life of this jeweler that inspired this book. Yeah, it's so interesting here. You talk about about the the cuffs and about touch because I, one thing again that happens and again that's why I'm so glad I didn't go into this book, MJ would have thought in mind. I mean, it's very obvious as people are reading the book that uh, the violin that you mentioned that she has a gift. What I did not expect was that Suzanne also had a gift of her own when it came to her hands. There's that great scene that you wrote in the book where she is um, supposedly measuring, uh, she's trying to get the measurements of a neck and, and you know and a wrist, and she notices things just for you know by doing that in a different way, of course, than Violine does. But those are things about the woman. What was that connection like for you to make uh, with them as you were kind of telling their story and their voices, MJ? to kind of show how they both use their gifts in an intriguing way? Mm, great question. Um, I had no idea that I was doing that. <laughs> um, but I suppose you're right that that's exactly what I was doing. You know, I wrote the two parts of the book separately. I wrote the um, Belle Perrault part first because it, it was based on her real life and something that really happened to her. And, in, and a year of her life that she actually went through, which is uh, 1942 when her lover is uh, arrested by the Nazis and taken to First Drancy, which is a, um, an internment camp outside of Paris, and then taken to Auschwitz where he's killed. And it's, it's the year she spends trying to save his life and also help uh, Jews who are other Jews who are being... Um, exterminated by the Nazis and trying to flee from France. So I wrote that whole part first because that part was real. And then I wrote the whole part about Violine discovering um, objects again, discovering objects that lead her on a search that eventually leads her to learning about Suzanne Belpron and what she'd done. So um, I didn't consciously realize that I was telling a tale of two women's gifts but you're right, and now the next time someone asks me what I did in this book, I'll say, oh, I told a tale of two women's gifts. <laughs> well, there's something, I <laughs> well, there's something else I noticed, too, as I was reading the book, too, is there is uh, Violine, who is, of course, knows what her gift is, but not always 
easy sharing it because of the way people will respond, as we're able to see um, in the book. But also when, when it comes to Suzanne, I think her gift of, of caring, I mentioned that one incident because that really struck me as I was reading the book about her noticing, you know, about the, the, about the, the fingerprints, right, you know, in the neck. And, 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 of course, her being empathetic to that. But also there's Dixie and the empathy she feels towards Dixie. And I think I thought to myself as I was reading reading the book, I thought, you know, would we have that same type of, of empathy toward people, that caring, or just, you know, would we just kind of go on with our lives? Talk to us about, about that area because that kind of goes into what I mentioned in my intro about the, the secrets and the family. There was Dixie there, of course, trying to, to do what she could, I guess, to write uh, right wrongs, um, but also there's Suzanne trying to be there to support her. What was that like for you kind of show that, that, that gift that Suzanne had and the way it kind of exhibited itself that way? So just for people who are listening, Dixie is a younger woman who uh, Suzanne Belperon has become friendly with and very friendly with, and they worked together in the resistance in Paris during the war. Um, so... Uh, you know, the thing, the thing was, in doing my research about Suzanne Belperon, I was very frustrated because there's no biography of her. There are two wonderful coffee table books that give a lot of information about her, but you can't really get into the weeds, and her papers are all tied up in France in um, privacy laws, and I couldn't get to read them. But, but I had to figure out who she was, and so I read between a lot of lines, in things I could find, but then ultimately I was so lucky in that I actually found her great niece, who was alive and, of course, as coincidences happen, lives 20 minutes away from me in Connecticut. Oh, wow. um, it was during COVID, so I didn't get to meet her, but I did get to talk to her quite a bit, and she was able to ask her uncle, who is um, who would be Suzanne Belperon's husband's, husband's nephew. So... Um, she was able to ask him a lot of questions about Suzanne. She she remembered her. She'd been a little girl and gone to her house. and She told me about what Suzanne was like as a great aunt and, and what the family felt about her. And that wasn't in any of the books, but she was very kind. And she was very loving to her extended family. And she was very – she cared enormously about helping Jews. And so those those few little things – really gave me great insight. You can't be kind to your family and caring and, and risk your life to help strangers escape France if you're not an empathetic and very caring person. So it then became very easy to, to finish the book, which I've been having a lot of trouble doing, because I hadn't been able to find Suzanne emotionally through, through any other way for over ten nine years. I had not been able wow. to... Get a get a real hold on what she was like, and after all that time, I found Michelle. Her name is Michelle Belperon, and um, I was able to get this information. It was it was amazing. Wow, I think that is it, and I think too, as we are able to, I mean, thanks to the interactions with Suzanne, able to know what was uh, Dixie's fate. Um, in the book, you know, it really kind of brings the seriousness of all of this. Um, I, I think, you know, to, to light with, with as, as we're as we're going throughout this conversation, though, MJ, I thought about the other thing, the title of the book, "The Jeweler of Stolen Dreams," and I, I love the fact how one of the things that does come up in this book and. For audience, we're going to let you guys know you can get your own copy of this, and would love to know your thoughts too. But um, is the whole idea of risk 
because both of these women, Suzanne and Violine, were were taking risk, right? Especially just for being who they were, but also even you know in the in the, the roads that they were taking. But when it came to the connection between risk and art, I love how you brought out something really fascinating. I want to talk to you about this, and that was the risk that people take to do what they feel like is the right thing. And when we're talking about things that may be hidden, I'll just talk around this, you know, or or taken, as some people would say, you know, what is the reason? What is the motive? And is it right? What was that like for you in a general way to kind of to, to think about as to why people do what they do? What's the reason behind it? And whether they believe it's the right thing or not, the consequences that can come with it. Um, interesting. So many of my books. And very few people pick up on it. There are two themes to almost all my books. They say that writers only always write about the same thing, even if it doesn't look like it. And I don't think it looks like it at all, but there are two things. They're in all my books, or in almost all of the books. I'm fascinated with the idea of doing the wrong thing for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I think that it's very um, I think it's very easy to be moralistic, and it's very easy to make rules, and it's very easy to blame people for things. And I and that interests me because I think that there's a lot to be said for doing the wrong thing for the right reason. I mean, you think about Les Miserables and the opening of that book when um, Javert steals a loaf of bread because of of the star because they're starving, you know. And and that's the wrong thing for the right reason. And that's what um, Suzanne Belperon does. And that's what you know. That there's a lot of that in the book. And there's a lot of that in all of my books. The other theme that's in a lot of my books is, is secrets, the shadows of secrets, and how secrets from one generation to the next don't go away. They cast a shadow. And um, the title is interesting because it wasn't the title of the book when I was writing the book. Um, the title of the book was really boring. It was called The Ring Box. And um, it wasn't until the amazing designer who works for me did the cover where it's the cover that you see, and it was the ring box, and then there was a ring box. And I looked at it, and I thought, well, that's kind of redundant. You don't need to say ring box if you're selling a <laughs> ring box or vice versa. So first I tried to think about what else should be on the cover, and then I decided that what was wrong was the title, and it needed a more evocative title. And the stolen dreams refer to, oh, so many things in the book. They refer to Dixie's life. They refer to the things that have happened to Wallene, um and that she hasn't been able to come to terms with. They refer to Suzanne's great love, and also they refer to the way that she helps people, the way that she helps the Jews during the war. Um, and I was so excited when I stumbled on that title because it had so many different meanings. Yeah. Totally agree, and, and I think that is one of the things that readers will definitely take um, take interest in. Uh, uh, MJ, I do want to ask you about this. Going back to the readers, and I'm so glad to hear you say about. And, and again, it comes through. And I didn't know the answer to the question before I asked you about what has it been like for you to, you know, immerse yourself so much in this research and in these characters, and you know, to have something you love so much and then have other people love it. I think one thing you've done for readers, and I can say this for myself personally is that I have never considered myself a fan of historical fiction before or or, or, or writing that, that kind of takes us into the past. Um, and I think what you have done is made that more engaging 
Uh, and I and I say that to say, and I'm sure other readers have said this to you too. What has that been like for you to make to make the past interesting for readers, to make history interesting for readers, and to introduce us to people like Suzanne that maybe we would not have have known about unless they were in a book like yours. Oh, uh, thank you so much again. And and uh, you know, it really it sounds so. I wish I could say something really eloquent, but it really comes down to the fact that. Um, I've re- I read a lot of historical fiction that I that I didn't engage in, that it was too much history. Even when it was people in history, it was too much about their lives. It was too biographical, you know, and too much about their whole lives. And it, I wanted to write about, I want to write about the people that I write about, but I don't want to give history lessons. I've just yeah. been fascinated, I kind of, in a very woo-woo kind of way, I kind of feel like there are, just like the women in my book hear objects and what they think. I mean, Suzanne Belpont famously had said that uh, stones, gemstones, winked at her, which which suggests an, a, a more, um, I can't ever say this word, a more therapizing of stones that she did. But for me, it's I can't, I, I, I feel like the stories are out there already, that these people exist, even the ones I make up. And it's um, what I'm supposed to be doing is I'm supposed to be finding those stories and sharing them, which I know sounds like really like weird, but I really do feel like that. So I don't really feel like I'm writing historical fiction as much as I'm just writing about people who have stories that have been lost to us, and it's sort of like my job to find those stories. MJ, I'm going to ask you a question I don't think you're going to like. Just look, just, just based on the, how we began this conversation about not wanting to talk about yourself, but I, ha, I cannot talk about a book that expresses two women's gifts without asking you about your own. Has it been easy for you over the years for you to embrace what is, I mean, without a doubt, your gift, and that is being able to weave stories like this and to capture readers like few authors can do? Um. I'm not sure I understand the question. I mean, it's been it's it's certainly easy accepting the fact that people love the books when they when they okay. share that with me. But ha, is it easy to write the books? Is that what you're asking? What well, do do you see it? Do you see it as your gift? Is it a gift that you have come to embrace? Well, I don't know. I don't think I'm very gifted. I think there are a lot of <laughs> authors who are a lot more gifted than I am. But and I don't think I think that if I have a gift it's really that I'm very. I know I'm creative, and I know okay. that I'm able to put things together in ways that other people don't put them together. And I've done a lot of um, firsts in advertising and in publishing, and I think that those are probably more more extraordinary. If you were to write my obit, it would be how I got published and the businesses I've built, rather than the books. But um, the books are what I love. So. Yeah. Well, we love them too, and that's why I'm glad <laughs> I've had to have you back this year to talk about the yeah. newest book, which is The Jeweler of Stolen Dreams, the new book from M.J. Rose. You guys can get it through your favorite local bookstore or through our friends at Amazon.com for sure. M.J., it is always great catching up with you. Let our audience know, though, how can they stay connected with you? Really easy, MJRose.com, and there's a newsletter oh. sign up there. Awesome. M.J., thank you again. Really appreciate the time and looking forward to our next conversation together. Thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you.
Thank you. I appreciate that. And we thank you, our audience, for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb, saying, as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live, and it's going to make today amazing. Take care.